Welcome to the One More Jump podcast by Rise Pole Vault. Today we've got the newly crowned American indoor record holder, Chris Nilsson, jumped 602, which is like 19 feet, nine inches on his really killer uh, European tour he just got back from. And yeah, it's really, it's really crazy. He's actually our first repeat customer. He's the first person who we've had on the podcast twice. Um, and he's done a lot since the last time we talked to him. Uh, he's earned uh, a silver medal or won a silver medal at the Olympics in Tokyo. And then, like I said, just broke the American indoor record um, and has just been killing it. He's just uh, on a rampage, doing a really, really good job. And we covered all types of topics, um, just all kinds of things. Yeah, he went, he jumped at that at Mondo's meet, which we talked about, which I found. If you if you haven't seen the videos from Mondo's meet, it's looked absolutely nuts. Looked really, really, really cool. Um, anyway, so like I said, bunch of cool stuff. Hope you enjoy the podcast with the newly crowned American indoor record holder, Chris Nelson. remember us doing this about a year ago <laughs> it was a long time ago for sure <laughs> isn't that crazy man this is a lot uh, has changed a lot has changed dude so much has changed i mean uh yeah it's freaking crazy so you got home safe everything's good polls polls back yep all good polls are all right um yeah travel was very long you know traveling from the midwest all the way over to europe can can be a hassle sometimes the amount of planes you take can get long but uh yeah it was all right it was uh, it was a good travel everything's everyone's all right and uh awesome. as quickly as it could have gone yeah i mean i don't know if there's this, we're already basically podcasting right now i'm already recording everything so i guess okay. we, i guess we can just i mean it's just a conversation like i always say um right. but uh if if we do get uh, bumped off of here, just rejoin. And then, uh, and then we can, we can get it going. So, um, good to me. but yeah, dude, so you're the first, uh, ever repeat. You're the first oh, really? re repeat guest. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is, is really cool because like you, like so much has changed in your life since the last time we talked. I mean, dude, you've been through a lot. It's I mean, been a, yeah, it's been a, it's been a, a bunch of stuff. I feel like a year it feels like a year or it it was a year but it doesn't feel like it at all it feels more like like five years worth of stuff that's happened dude i mean it was crazy i was like writing it all down i was uh i was putting my daughter to bed and i was just like all right so like what what did we talk about and i was like okay this 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 i was like dude there's so much stuff it just right. all got loaded up really really quick so um I guess like going all the way back to Tokyo, which kind of seems like a little bit, you know, far away now. I mean, to me, it seems like it was, it was a while ago. Um, right. So like, how, how was that experience? Like you qualify for the Olympic games. I mean, starting from the trials, like how, how was all of that? How, how was all that process? Right. <clears throat> um, first off, when did we, when did we talk last? When was that time? Do you like, have like a time stamp or anything like that? I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to look it up. I mean, it, okay. So like, I'm trying to remember back to it. Um, you it had just, it, I mean, you were like our first 
guest that was like i was like holy crap dude chris chris nilson agreed to come on this like what the heck i was like no way you are our first one that i was like dude this is nuts um and so that was like 2020 it was during the lockdowns it was Um, okay so yeah it was a while ago as well yeah yeah so it was a while ago it maybe was over a year ago but but um you had it was just that heartbreaker where you had just set the national collegiate record and then, and then you guys got booted out of, uh, nationals. Right. And then, and then, you know, then we start talking to you. So, okay, cool. Well, (laughs) first off, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it a lot. Um, yeah. So, uh, all the way back to the Olympic trials, I think, um, I'll start it off with the Olympic trials was more daunting and nerve wracking than the actual Olympics. And, uh, I think it was just simply because there was so much pressure on, there's always so much pressure on American athletes to make that team or make any team. Um, because you know, if you're a European or like basically if you're any country, um, competing and you're not the United States, you don't really have a selection process. You just kind of get selected. I'm sorry. Can I stop you right there? Because that is something that I've just always been like, I've always thought that and heard that. So is that in, is that real? Like that's the reality. It's, it's pretty real. Yeah. I mean, for, you know, for, uh, Jamaica, they probably have a selection process like we do for the sprints and stuff because they're very sprint heavy. And, um, I'm sure a couple other countries that have a lot of people or a high, you know, high density population in the track and field world don't necessarily just get picked. They have to go and do their own trial system. But for most countries, I mean, I mean, France right now, they have one guy over the world standard. It's Renault. So clearly he's going to be one of the guys going to the world championship here soon um, in Belgrade. But I mean, they don't have any other guys. So there's no really selection process or trials that they need to go through because they only have one guy who's over the standard. So they just pick them and go. Right, right. And I think that that's very confusing for, I mean, I think that a lot of people listening to this would be like, hold on, what? Like, like Mondo is going, I mean, obviously he's going to go, but like, he, he lives i'm assuming that in his country it's probably very similar like it's just like it's an election probably like hey Correct. like you're our best shot right now so we're going to select you you and you and you're going to go right. um and whereas I mean, in the united states you have to like you could have a bad day and yeah. then not go <laughs> i can't remember her exact name but i remember there was some kind of middle distance runner it was either an 800 runner or a 1600 meter runner and this woman had I think she broke the world record like three weeks after not making the Olympic team in 2016. So, I mean, it's like, exactly. You have one bad day and you're out, but, uh, but yeah, but yeah. So I was super daunt. It was very, very daunting for the Olympic trials and, um, had really bad sleep and anxiety coming up to the, those just because I, I really wanted to make that team. And then everything went super easy, um, throughout the actual process of the trials. Um, and then after that, it was kind of like a, it's something that I'm hearing a lot from people right now, but after the Olympics, apparently a lot of people had this kind of this dip in motivation. Like not a lot of people wanted to continue for the rest of the year. I know, I know specifically Tiago Braz, he got bronze at the Olympics this year and he quit. He stopped his whole season after that, just went home to Brazil, had a good time. Um, and then that was it. But myself and Sam and Casey and Mondo and all these other guys who are competing at the Olympics, we went over back to Europe and started competing pretty consistently again. Um, because 
why not? You know what I mean? So, right. Right. And, and is that, is that, um, is that because of just kind of the situation of like how it was like in a different year and like things like that? Is that what, is that why? Um, I think so. I, I kind of understood it after the trials. I kind of had this bit of a mission accomplished kind of thing, whereas I didn't really feel like I needed to do anything else because I had already made the team. But then I started to amp back up and be like, it would be kind of a disappointment for myself and everybody around me if I went to the Olympics and no heighted. So I got it. I kind of got back on the horse and I was like, okay, we got to, we have to get back on this or we're just going to look like a fool. Um, so after that, I, I think a lot of people just felt that exact same way after the Olympics. Uh, I know Katie has talked about it a little bit. Katie Najat, yeah. Olympic champion. She talked about, you know, she won the Olympics. And then after that, I mean, there was just, there was not much more she could have done. And the rest of the year was kind of a downward slope for her. I mean, she went to, well, the, she went to the diamond league final in Zurich and she no heighted. She just ran through three times. So. Um, yeah, but she, I, and I'm not, I'm not saying I, I, she's awesome. She's amazing. And oh, yeah, no, she's I hope, awesome I hope to sure. have her back on and I don't mean any of this to offensive to her or anything, but like, I, she's just, at, she's at a different point in her, her life and her career than you are too, oh, you know, and like you and like Mondo and like, and Sam's even in a, in a different time of life, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. that might be kind of, uh, adding into it too you know like she mm-hmm. she just got engaged and i don't know it's people people forget that like these pole vaulters like chris and like and katie and all these people like they live like real lives too like like they oh, yeah. have they have other things <laughs> we have other things we gotta vaulting. do <laughs> yeah other things we gotta do and other things we like to do so and i mean when katie told me the all that stuff i was like you know honestly i get it i i 100 get it um for me after that after i won the silver um I had a little bit of a, an opposite reaction to it. Whereas some people had a downward slope, I had an upward slope of motivation because I wanted to consistently prove myself that I was earnest of that medal and that I, I did actually earn that. And, and I didn't just get, you know, dumb luck or a flash in the pan kind of thing. I wanted to keep proving myself over and over and over so that nobody could ever say, oh, well, he just got lucky. I never wanted to hear anybody say that or even think about somebody saying that. So after that, I was like, okay, now push, push the gas pedal down even harder. Um, so do you think that that is, uh, that is like, when, when do you think it'll be the point where like, cause you said, you even said that like, um, back in our last podcast is it was just like, Hey, like I, I set the collegiate record and I, I wanted to go to Europe and I wanted to prove myself like, Hey, I'm, I'm this guy and I can do this and I can do this dude, you've jumped like 580 in like a million meets. Now <laughs> you jumped 590. <laughs> you, you're the indoor American record holder. Do you think, do you think that maybe now people are like, okay, yeah, he's the real deal. Um, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> I mean, I mean, even still the same exact thing happened right after I jumped the American record. I, I, we, the first thing I thought was, I'm oh, God, I'm so happy. I finally joined the six meter club. This is so cool. And then the second thing I thought was, well, now I need to keep jumping five nineties and high five and high five eighties or people are going to think it was luck. So yeah. <laughs> then I started training even harder and trying even harder in meets. So where I was like, if I don't jump five ninety or at least a high five eighty, people are going to think that, um, it was just dumb luck. So I wanted to make sure that that wasn't the case. So I wouldn't jump three more five nineties in a row. And now I'm kind of sitting back here at the U S and I was like, Okay, that was probably a pretty good run of meets. <laughs> yeah, that was a good run of meets, dude. Especially like you and I had talked in Reno, and it was, and you were like, "Yeah, I, I just, uh, 
you know, I just went back to my full only had like, this is like my third time back in my full approach or whatever. So, I mean, it's just right. incredible what you're able to do. So like, what do you think has it. been, how, what, what do you think has been the, the key thing, you know, in college, you know, you jumped at, uh, what was it? 95 in college. Yep. Jump 95, Nine, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 95 yep, yeah. in college. Like, mm-hmm. but that was like, that was one ninety-five jump, you know, like, but yep. now you're consistent, you're v- getting very consistent at that, you know, five ninety ish bar. Um, what do you think is the difference, uh, you know, that, that has enabled you to be able to do that? I think it's just, um, whereas Mondo has been kind of doing this thing for he's 22. He started when he was like four. So, you know, somewhere around like 18 years, I've, I've only been doing it for around like eight or nine. So he's got, he's got a whole decade on me. And, um, I think the, it's not necessarily that I've gotten any stronger or faster or just, you know, better technically at pole vault, but I think it's, you know, the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. You're going to like get better muscle memory and you're going to just learn what's good for your body in training and in competition and what you're able to do and what you're not able to do, what's good and what's bad for you. And I think the longer we do that and the longer that Derek and I, you know, spend time together trying to figure out what is good and what is bad and what's helpful, then we find out what's the most helpful and we strategize to focus more on those. And I think, you know, growing up in this program with Derek and then the other people who have coached me in the past, like Rick Attig, um, taking all that knowledge and then just consistently pole vaulting year after year after year, then you, I think you just learn how to get better at it, you know, cause Mondo wasn't jumping 20 feet every single time out back in high school, but now he's basically doing it all the time because he has that experience behind him. I think the experience is just finally starting to catch up. Right. Right. Hold on one second. I just thought of something that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> no um, so I, uh, I also think that it, you have become more kind of more, uh, well, you are battle tested now. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, okay, I I've, I've done these things in college and that's one thing, you know, but anybody who's been around, uh, you know, the pole vaulting game knows that after you leave college, that is like, there's a huge proving ground time, like where it's like, okay, I got to do some things that are outside of my comfort zone. There's going to be times I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to, you know, hop off of a jet lagged flight and just go straight to a meet and have to perform, you know? And that was, that was something that I thought about the other day is I was like, you know, you, what you, you know, you've been able to deal with a lot of adversity and jump in high pressure situations and every high pressure situation that you jump and you're successful in, you just become more confident in your ability to do that. You know, absolutely. Just the experience I think has probably just completely, you know, changed your whole game or whatever, but, um, bouncing back to Tokyo. So Tokyo obviously was, it was, you're the first person that we've gotten to talk to about it, uh, about this scenario, like how it was with the no fans, with the cardboard beds Were the cardboard beds, true. Cardboard beds were true. Yes. (laughs) You could, uh, you could customize them to where if you wanted the soft spot in the head, the middle of the feet, um, oh so yeah, you wow. could, uh, you could change around the whole bed and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, not to be vulgar or anything like that, but everybody was trying to say that they made these cardboard bags because they didn't want anybody to, you know, do anything on them. You know, you know, if you, if right. you my yeah, bridge, yeah. but I it was it. no, it was, but it was because, you know, Japan was extremely intelligent and they thought that 
after the Olympics, we're going to turn these things into kind of an apartment kind of deal, which I'm pretty sure they're still doing. They're like renovating it and getting it all ready for that. But after the Olympics, they have to clean out all the rooms. They have to disassemble half of the wall so they can make it an actual apartment. We don't want to have these big wooden frame beds or metal frame beds that we have to haul out every time out. So what do you do? You just break down the cardboard and you recycle it and you use it for something later. That was an extremely intelligent thing of them to do. And it also makes it easy on cleanup. So, I mean, right. I think people it, are trying to make a comical thing out of it, but at the same time, it was really smart. Yeah. And it seems, you know, so I'm sure that a lot of these uh, big giant, you know, the Olympics and these big events, like probably right. produce like a whole lot of waste, you know, like, mm-hmm. and things like that. And so I'm sure that they were, I don't know, maybe they were trying to, like you said, do something that was maybe a little more eco-friendly. I have no idea. It could be the polar opposite. Maybe they didn't right. recycle any of it. <laughs> maybe not. That's, that's what I, that's what I heard they were going to do. Um, you know, shoot me in the foot if they're wrong, but if I'm wrong, but, um, but yeah, cardboard beds were real. Um, thankfully my, uh, my manager, Karen, she sent me along, she met me at the San Francisco airport and she sent me along with a, uh, one of those like comforter kind of things where you could like, uh, lay on top of it, like, and it would put it under the sheets. Oh yeah, yeah, and make it a little softer. So that was nice. That was really helpful. Um, so think, you, oh, yeah. go ahead. No, you're good. So yeah, so you did that, and then and then you you guys get there and you do all your stuff. So when I told I forgot it was a long time ago. So when is it that Sam uh, hits the positive test right. over there? So um, I don't remember exactly when we all got, I know I got, I, I got in second Casey was there first. So Casey and I went and got dinner the night I got in. Um, cause you always got in at like 10 at night because of the, the long travel and the time change. Um, and I think Sam got in around a day after us or maybe two days after us. And we had a couple of training sessions together and we went to see, um, the stadium together. Um, I, I'm, I, we weren't necessarily like crazy close contact. Like I wasn't sitting next to him on the bus and like, we weren't like sitting there in each other's rooms, like hugging or anything. Right. Um, I don't actually even think we went to food together one time. I know Casey and I were like inseparable the entire time, just because we had our rooms right next to each other and we were on the same floor and it was, it was just very easy. Um, yeah. but I remember Sam, it was early. It was really early. Uh, Sam FaceTimed Casey and I in a group um, at like 6.30 or 7 in the morning. And he basically said, I rolled snake eyes. Uh, I got COVID. Um, told us about how they had like hauled them off, made them test again and blah, 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 all this other stuff. But he said he'd keep us updated and that he was out of the Olympics. And we were like, this is a joke, right? Yeah. He's like, this is not a joke. Um, they're taking me to the quarantine hotel right now. So it was probably two or three days after he came in. And then it, it must have been like two days before the actual preliminary round. Right. Because then they had to, of course, call Matt Ludwig, um, the overnight Olympian, as we call him. Um, <laughs> and I think he got in the night before the preliminary round. And he got about maybe like eight or nine hours of sleep. And then he had to get up and jump because the yeah. prelims was in the morning. That was crazy, man. Good for him. Getting, get hustling, man. Dude, was, dude, dude. hustled. He did it. He did a good job, man. I'm going to be honest. It's not necessarily because, you know, of not any, it could have been anybody. It could have even been Sam or Casey or even I, but if I had come over the night before on a 10 or 11 hour flight with a 14 hour time change and been expected to jump the night after I would have expected myself or anybody else to know. Hey, but dude came out and cleared 
I think two or three bars and that's like made incredible. decent shots. Yeah, he did a great job. Um, very impressed. Yeah, that's awesome. So how how like how distracting was that uh, with the whole Sam situation? Because that was like a that was like a big deal, especially back in the states. I mean, it was on the t- on the news and like everything. Right. Like it was it was kind of a big deal. Was that distracting at all? Um, not really distracting. It was just really scary because we didn't know obviously we knew, you know, if you got COVID then things were kind of going to go South, but he straight up just called us and said, I'm out. So we were like, crap. Okay. So if we get, if we get contact traced, then we're going to get put into a, a, a COVID hotel and we might miss. Um, and I know a lot of other teams for whatever reason ended up getting put into a quarantine hotel right after Sam did for whatever reason. Um, right. and we never got contact traced. They never called Casey. They never called me. And basically what we got told by some of the medical staff on team USA was if you don't test positive, you're fine. Um, and the only way that you guys can get put into a quarantine hotel is if someone from the U S OPC or someone from that along the lines comes and takes you to there. So unless they, unless they come and take you or you test positive, you're fine. And nothing ever happened. Nothing came of it. So dang, man. So like, you weren't losing sleep that like they were going to knock on your door or something. No, I was just, <laughs> okay. I was just, you know what, if, if you're going to take me to a quarantine hotel, you're going to have to drag me with three other guys. But, <laughs> um, yeah, try, yeah. At that point I was just like, there's nothing we can do at this point. So Casey and I are going to stick together like we've been doing and, uh, just kind of hope for the best. But a lot of people started calling and texting and being like, do you have COVID? And you're like, no, we're fine. Oh my gosh, man. Yeah. That was wild, man. You know what though? That would have been a bad choice. They, they, uh, knock on that, that, uh, that room and then open it up and see you six, four, two Oh five, just giant <laughs> like, wrong dude, to, wrong dude to pull to the quarantine hotel. <laughs> well, maybe the only one scary thing was that, uh, uh, at the same time, we, we had to test regularly every single morning for COVID. We had to do a little spit test in a bottle every morning before you ate or drank anything, but it was very, very common for you to get actual drug tested, like urine tested. Mm. Um, so I remember one time there was a guy who knocked on our door the day after Sam got taken, uh, to the quarantine hotel knocked on our door and I open it. And then there's two guys standing there. And one of them asks, he's like, Chris. And I was like, yes and he's like <laughs> are you roommates with dot 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 i won't say his name um yeah. and he was and i was like yes and he's like oh we need him for drug testing and i was like oh my oh. god holy sh- oh no <laughs> that's crazy man what a wild wild time to be an olympian like that that is really really crazy and i mean i know that it was probably like very I don't know. It's probably just strange, a strange competition just because with the, with the no fans and this and that and all these things. But like when you're older and you look back on that, like that, that, that Olympics is going to go down in history is like, man, that was crazy. The COVID Olympics was wild, bunch of crazy stuff. But so how did the, how did the competition like go for you? Like the preliminary round, did you got through that pretty smooth and, and then, uh, and then take us through to the final. Right. Preliminary round. It, it did go very smooth. I didn't miss a single bar. I cleared, I think it was like 50 and then 65 and then 75 all on first attempt. So it went well. Um, and, uh, I was kind of nervous because, um, you know, Derek had gotten in the night before my coach. Um, and, uh, we started out in warmups and warmups weren't, you know, they weren't anything spectacular or great or anything what I was hoping for, but it was okay. Um, 
bars went really well. I started clearing, I started feeling better as the little preliminary round went on. And then we finished everybody who cleared 575, um, made it to the final. And then we got two days of rest, which isn't normal. Usually it's like a, like a Tuesday, Thursday kind of deal instead of mm. a Tuesday, Friday kind of deal. So that was nice. We got another day. Um, and then warmups in the final were just absolutely spectacular. I think I cleared a 590 bar three times in a row or 390 bungee, like three times in a row. Um, and Jeez. I was like, okay, this is going well. Um, <laughs> and then awesome. for, first two bars went fine. And then for whatever reason, we, you never would have expected it, but we had this actual fat, like crosswind, like going from your left to your right um, in the middle of the stadium. So we were like, that's super confusing because both the doors are closed off. It was an open roof arena, but we were very confused about how it was happening. But we were like, okay, we just got to deal with it. And I missed my first attempt at 580. Um, yeah. Because it, it just threw me off too much. And then Derek basically gave me like a, a, a pep talk. He was like, you got to relax, man. You're it's wind, like get over it. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. And then I cleared 580, 587. Um, and then at that point, that's when I knew that I had a chance to get a medal, but I hadn't been secured yet because myself, Mondo, Tiago, Renault, and I think someone else were still in. Those are the, those are the three guys, myself, Mondo and Tiago had all cleared 587. And I know Renault had either, I think he passed from 570 to 580 and then he didn't make it. So he passed again to 587. Mm. Um, and then he didn't make it. And then I made it. So I was like, that's really good. Cause I made it on a first attempt. So, you know, first attempts, big deal. Yeah. Um, and bar went to 592 and the only people who were, like I said, still in, it was still the four that I had mentioned. And then Renault missed. And I knew that I had gotten a medal and I was like, okay, if, if Tiago clears this, I'll probably get gold or I'll probably get bronze. If I clear this, I probably get silver. Um, and then he missed, I made, and I was freaking out. Cause I knew that I was like, yeah, no shot. He's not going to make that. Probably not. Um, and That's then crazy. Mick got the silver and then, you know, Mondo's Mondo freaking boomed over everything like his child's <laughs> play. So I was like, I don't care, dude, I'm fine with silver. Just give me that. Right. Um, and then Tiago actually had a couple really good shots of 592. And I was like, okay, we're gonna have to go to 597. It sounds good to me. But uh Tiago didn't end up end up making it. Bar went to 597. And then it was kind of funny because at NCAAs in 2019, Mondo and I were doing that little showdown thing at Texas where uh he would make an he would make a bar, then I would make it, or then I would make it, he would make kind of deal. Um, I remember he missed 590, I made it, and then he missed 595 and then I made it at NCAAs. So we were kind of joking. He was like, I think he came up to me and he was like, you know, make this first attempt again. I was like, I don't know. I might. And then I go down and make it a first attempt. And he literally, I was, I, he was like, you gotta be kidding me. And I was like, you're going to you shut up. You're going to make it. It's fine. Um, and then he did, of course. And then he made 602 and took great shots at 619. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was a, best day I could have absolutely hoped for, you know, that's incredible. And, and not a lot of times do you like have like a stellar warm up and then a stellar competition. Like sometimes those two are like kind of opposites. Do you ever have that happen to you where you have like a really crappy warm up, and then all of a sudden you have a great meet? Yeah, it was, uh, that just happened, uh, in Liev in France, my, my meet that I just competed at my warm ups were terrible. I think the highest bungee I cleared was like a like a five fifty, but it was like really bad. It came down on it and everything like that, but I didn't, I didn't miss a single bar the entire competition except the final one. I went all the way from 50 to 91 with no misses and like five bars. 
Um, and then after that, I, I missed the 603 bar because that's super high. But, um, but yeah, that's it was really that, was, that well, was you were things. close at that 603 though. That was the a third good one. It was close. That was a good attempt, man. That was third a really was close, good but, attempt. But don't let anybody fool you. Whoever has jumped 603 or higher before, they they know what they're doing and they know it's a high bar. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so so the Tokyo that was that, that was just an incredible competition and just congratulations to you on that. I never, you know, oh, we never it. got you. to really kind of talk about it uh, very much. But um, yeah, going into this year this this little streak that you had through europe um mm-hmm. so did you know this american record was was about to go down or was, was it a surprise no. or well i did know it was about to go down because casey has been jumping out of his mind recently and yeah. we knew that he was going to be doing pretty cool things last year because last year with his was his first professional trip over to europe or just going over to europe period and then he started off with some 60s and some 70s, and then he started clearing 580, 19 feet pretty consistently. And then he beat both Sam and I at the last meeting, Zagreb in Croatia. So we were like, okay, he's probably going to come out next year swinging, which he did. Cleared 590 at Reno, 90 at uh, Berlin, 90 at uh, or, uh, Dortmund, you know, just a 90 machine guy right now. So we were right. like, okay, like no shot, the record doesn't go down. Um, and then like you said, you know, we, I got off the plane and then 36 hours later or so I had to go and compete at that one meet in France, the one, uh, Torquan or Perchen or whatever you want to call it. Um, warmups were not great at all. I think I cleared like, again, another 550 bungee or something, nothing crazy. Right. Um, and then everything was first attempt all the way up through six meters. Um, but like even Karen, my manager at that time, she told me, she was like, don't even worry about any bars, just go and go and make one single bar, you know, make your, get your appearance fee. And then after that, doesn't even matter. This is your first meet. Um, so after that, we were just like, okay, whatever. And I stayed on one pole, I think for the first four bars, wasn't oh, wow. anything great. It was a small pole too. Um, and then poles finally started moving as the, as the 90 and the six meter went up. Um, and then after that, I was like, I'm done, dude. I'm, I, I jumped six times, six bars. I'm, I'm quitting. I made the, I made, made the record. I'm done. Right. Right. You got pretty pumped up too. It's hard. It's hard to not like completely release all your emotions after, after a big bar like that too, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 Cause sometimes, sometimes it's, uh, it's difficult. You know, you go over, you make that, that big giant bar that you've been, you know, you've been one. I mean, cause that six meter bar has got to be lurking in your head for a long time now. Long time. Yeah. And the, the release after that, it's probably like, Oh my gosh. And then, you know, a lot of times it, it might just be the best thing just to pack it up. <laughs> just be like, yeah, just cause you emotion. It's a lot of, it's, there's a lot of emotions that probably went into that, you know? So how, how do you, how do you pull yourself out? Like, cause when, when you talk about having like a bad warm up, like the typical pole vaulter, the typical athlete will have a bad warm up, and, and it will just continue to just degrade from there. Right. You know what I'm saying? So like yeah. what you had said earlier, like just a couple of seconds ago was that you had a bad warm up, and then you were on a small pole, but then as the heights went higher, the poles started rolling. So like, how is it that you're a, whenever the heights usually go higher, a lot of times people start getting more nervous and more cautious and 
not as, you know, not able to move the poles that they need to do that. So how, how are you able to do that? You know, it's a, it's a, um, it's one of those things where I think I'm just not good in the beginning of the meet because I'm one of those guys who progressively gets better along at, you know, as the, as the meet goes on, I'm not a Casey or a Sam or a Mondo or a no, I'm not booming five fifty bars or anything crazy like that because I need a little bit more time to warm up and get a, get a, a feel for a consistent run, a consistent takeoff and, um, a, a nice fluid run and jump and takeoff and all of that. But, um, I think, you know, the more I, the more I jump throughout the competition, um, the better I'll get, because I've realized that my best jumps are between my eighth and my 12th jump. So mm. if I get to my eighth or 12th jump by 580 or 590 or six meters, then I know I probably have a pretty good shot of doing that. And at, also at the same time, I know that I can, I can clear 550 or 560 or 570 with a decent bit of ease. I still have to try because those, those are very hard bars. I'm not trying to sit here and be like, I can no, do no, easy no. 550 or anything like that. They are still high at bars, but at, at this time right now, the training has gone well. And Derek has coached me in such a way to where those bars are. I don't necessarily have to like put hundred percent effort into it, but then I know when the bar goes to 580 or 590 or six, it's like, okay, I need to put more than hundred percent into this. I need to try as hard as I possibly can be extremely aggressive and just be as technical as I possibly can, or I won't clear it. So once I probably get that pressure on me, that's when I'm like, okay, now we can, we can start, we can actually put effort into this, put, put as much effort, maximum effort as I can. Right. Right. So I just did a podcast with Tim Mack and he was uh, talking about oh, how did. he's, he's, uh, he's cute, like really cue heavy, like really focusing in on like one or two cues. So like, are, is, is that similar to you? Do you do that too? Or is it more, are you just looking for like a flow or, or how, how you said you, you become more aggressive. So what are you being more aggressive about? Like, are you pushing the pole, pushing the pole to your, to your shins or whatever harder, or are you trying to hit the back of the box harder? Is the, is there anything in particular that you're being more aggressive about? Right. Um, yeah, that's a great question usually, for your particular jump. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, for sure. I, yeah. Completely understand for, you know, usually we, that's when Derek is actually there for a competition. He can't come with me every time because he is a college coach. So he has to, you know, stay back and, you know, deal with the college kids is his job. But right. when he's there, when he's at a meet with me and I'm, I am kind of pansy footing it in there or not being hundred percent. He, he's like, he'll always tell me like, you need to be more aggressive. You need to step through it, which is, you know, that very last takeoff step, that last left or, or right. If you're a lefty. Um, that last left needs to be super aggressive and active. You need to put it down under you as hard and as fast as you possibly can, and then jump off of it as hard as you can. And that'll usually help you, you know, direct more speed from the run into the takeoff and then therefore load the pole and put you a bunch of momentum into it. Um, right. so that would probably be the more, the most aggressive thing. Like just like running through your takeoff, not just correct. to your takeoff. Exactly. Word for word, it. something Derek has said many times before. Um, running through it as hard as you possibly can. And then, like you said as well, hitting the box as hard as you can, the back of the box as hard as you can, you know, um, quite literally punching the pole into the <laughs> box as aggressive as you can. Um, and then maybe the only other thing is um something that Derek likes to work on a lot with his athletes is body positions. He's kind of gotten rid of he's thrown out the idea that you need a straight plant arm to have a good vault because he always comes back to Steven hooker dude had a crap plant, but he jumped right. six Oh six. 
because he had great body positions. He was forward at takeoff, not necessarily straight up and down tall, but he was kind of leaning forward into the takeoff. And that's where he got all of his power from um, that. And he was booking it down the runway, like nine, nine meters per second. So he was crazy good. Yeah. Um, so body positions. Yeah. Trying to get his, uh, my head and chest through the takeoff in that space between my arms as hard as I can. Okay. So like the majority of those cues are all like down, you know, cueing those like through your run and through your takeoff. So like after you leave the ground, what, what is it that you go to next? Is it just like, I just am trying to make it, or is it, is there a specific thing that you're looking for or a specific, you know, type of thing? So, you're right. So the, no, I'm <laughs> laughing because this is going to sound really stupid because you know, a normal, a normal person would be like, yeah, absolutely. I close off. I drop my shoulders. I try to get my hip into hand kind of thing, but my, Recently, I'm really trying to fix that thing where I, my legs come apart at the top. If, oh, yeah. They do. So my cue right now when I when I actually, after I take off, is keep your legs together. <laughs> but that's it. That's the only thing I've been focusing on. So now I see why you posted that picture on Instagram. There you go. That was perfect, dude. I mean, it is cool, though. Like, I, I actually, I want to go back and look at, look at some of your old videos um, because I... I I do think that your technique has definitely cleaned up uh, quite a bit, like over since, since college, like it's, it definitely looks a lot, a lot cleaner and a lot tighter. You know what I'm saying? And that's interesting for you that you're actually cueing to try to keep those legs together. Um, And, and is there a particular reason for that? Is it, you just like the way it looks or you think you're going to get more energy out of it or it's more of like a, it's more of a connection thing for me, because I've realized that if I have a disconnected takeoff, then the rest of the vault is going to be disconnected as well. The swing, the invert, the, the rotate, the push off all of it. So if I, if my legs are together, then I have a better chance of remaining balanced and connected on the pole, because if I start to get disconnected, I could flag out. I could not roll the pole as efficiently as I wanted to. I could lose the momentum. Um, I could just lose a body position that would be more optimal for the jump. Uh, so if I try to stay in a balanced position, the vault itself will probably stay balanced throughout the entire process. Um, right. That would, that's mainly the logic behind it. Yeah. Well, you want to shoot an arrow out of a bow. You don't want to shoot a spaghetti noodle out of a bow, you know, like you want you it go. to be tight and, and, you know, and, and that's, that's just, I mean, physics, I think at the end of the day. So you mentioned that Derek, um, doesn't get to uh, make it to mini meets. I've been talking with my brother a lot. I, I actually took over his training and, um, he, nice. and I can't go to any meets. Like he'll be, he'll be in Spokane this weekend and I'm, I can't go. Like, yeah. so, so it's, it's like it, how much coaching needs to be done at the meets. Oh, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Cause I saw you getting by just fine at Reno. Like, I'm not saying that having Derek there wouldn't be incredible, but like, would you say that the majority of Derek's impact on you is through your actual training? Correct. You know, I would say that I would say that all of it is through the training because, you know, the only reason it's always nice to have your coach there, or at least someone who knows what they're doing to give you some kind of cue. And it's kind of like, I see it more as like the cherry on top. You build the cake in the fall training and that's where you build your consistency and your reps and in your strength training and your speed training, your plyos, whatever you do. Um, but if you're, if you need it's, it's a one and two kind of thing. Yes. Like you said, the training is going to be the thing that really prepares you for going to a meet. And nowadays, all I really need is someone to tell me my mid mark and then I'm good. 
Um, I can figure it out through feel alone. But the two, the second part of that is like, you don't just do that. You don't just like know that it's mainly like an experience of um, having to go to meets without a coach. And I did it all through high school. Um, you know, cause my coach, Rick Adig, he was a college coach as well at the time. And he was also the club coach that I went to and he had other kids. He had to coach and same thing. Um, at my first year out of college, I, I mean, I went to Europe with no coach. All I had was my, my manager. Um, and while she does know a lot about the pole vault because she's been, she was been the, she was the manager of Ty Harvey, you know, back in the day. So she knows what she's, she's managed doing. a lot of really good vault and, and Derek and Derek, and, she's, yeah. yeah, she's managed a lot. So, I mean, while she isn't a pole vault coach, she knows what she's doing, but I mean, I, it was a bad time, you know, just cause I didn't have anybody to help me out. And then after that, I was like, okay, we have to learn the feel of the vault, know what feels good, know what feels bad. If you're missing a bar, you're probably doing something wrong. Um, and then everybody knows what their vault should look like. So if someone's taking video for you, then you can probably figure out, mm. okay, this takeoff was out, you know, my made something wrong, blah, blah, blah. You know, you just figure it out by feel. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of people that are in that, uh, situation, uh, in high school, maybe not as much in college, but I think definitely in, in high school, there are a lot of people that, um, maybe they vault at a pole vaulting gym or a pole vaulting club, and then they go to the high school, their high school meets and they don't have any, any coaches. But I think, I think the biggest thing is, is that is exactly, you know, kind of what you said is you have to learn yourself and you have to learn what you're supposed to, it's supposed to feel like. And, and if you're just like, you know, you wouldn't go through, luckily you didn't go through college and just be with Derek and just not absorb any information, you know, like that's really important for a pole vaulter to do. Like when you, if you're in contact with a good coach, maybe it's at a club or a gym or something like that, like you're only getting 50% of the benefit if you just listen to exactly what they say and then don't absorb and try to learn, learn it for yourself that you can bring that knowledge to any meet you want to, you know? And I think, I think that, you know, like we had talked about earlier, the more experienced you are, the better you get at knowing your jump and knowing when you're going to move up poles and things like that. So what sticks are you on right now? Same ones at Reno? Um, Basically. Yeah, pretty much the same exact polls. Still on those five twenties. I haven't really gotten off with five twenties um, since I was a freshman in college. Um, you were uh, on five twenties as a freshman in college. Yes. Goodness gracious! Man. I was. I, I, the thing is that I was still, you know, back in the day, I was still <laughs> six five. So I think the height gives you a little bit of an advantage. <laughs> I mean, a little bit, <laughs> not five twenties as a freshman in college. That's it made, insane, yeah. dude. The the height made it a, a big thing, and um, you know, being being fast was was an, was another advantage. But um, but yeah, so still on five twenties. Um, how much? How much? What what were your what were your flexes like as a freshman compared to like now? Um, I'm just curious. Probably around like a like a like a fifteen to a to a thirteen flex like a 15.0 to a 13.0 flex somewhere on there. And then, uh, now I'm on 12, seven to about an 11, four. Those are my, those are my normal flexes throughout a meet. Yeah. I think I recently found this out and I, I, again, going, you know, not to, you know, bring Katie back up again. Um, but she jumped on spirit and Gil and Essex in the matter of like three meets. 
she went to. So mm-hmm. she knows the different flexes. And I was curious about what the flex difference between an Essex and a spirit would be. Um, because that means that I, I did jump the American record out. My polls didn't get there until like two or three hours before the meet oh because of a, a travel issue. You know, it happens all the time. Um, so I was trying to figure out, you know, because I might've had a jump on a spirit pole that day because the only other guy who had poles there was a spirit guy. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to do that. So um, I found out that I think, I think there's like a one point difference. So like a 13 Essex is like a 12 spirit. Oh, something something along those lines. So, yeah, that would be something that you wouldn't really want to find out. Like, uh, as you're running down the runway, (laughs) you You would probably want uh, verification of that, but I mean, you got to do what you got to do at some, sometimes though, you know, might be a little bit of a diameter difference, uh, between those two poles too is, is, are you, I mean, actually your Essex are actually pretty freaking thick, man. Uh, yeah, there's they're some... run a they're run a 12, 0, 12 11, 11, 8 is my normal yeah, like, that... mid meat pole. That'll be around there. That's wild, dude. Yeah, those are huge. Um, so what well, when you're 210, you know, it makes sense. Is that is that what you're weighing in these days? 210? <laughs> yeah, around, around right now we're and you're like six six five, you said? Yep, six five. Yeah, that's yeah, big dude. Like I said, wrong <laughs> dude to try to pull in a quarantine hotel. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so what piece of this puzzle do you think uh you can pr- improve on the most right now like what what's going to uh, enable you to you know kind of get to that next to you know that 605 ish so yeah i don't know the big you bar know, a lot of those things a lot of those a lot of that just comes from actual technique and when it comes to like actual technique i would say i'm I'm good, but I'm not anywhere close to the best. Obviously, Mondo's, you know, at the top, along with Renault and Sam and Casey, like all their, their vaults, not only the thing is a lot of people talk to me about this. Their vaults not only are good, but they look like good. They look, like you said, they look tight, they look pretty, they look clean. It's because they are. It's because they know exactly what they're doing and they're very technical vaulters. And I think I'm very much the opposite. I'm very much a, a brute force strength and speed like grunt my way through it kind of guy. And I need to be more on the finesse kind of technical side of things. And I think it's just because they all have more times down the runway than I do. Um, you're so a different, you're a different at. whole different creature though, dude. Like, like you're like when you put you, you and Mondo stand side by side together, it's still like two totally different bodies. You know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Like, yeah. so I, you know, and, and, I've always thought this, that, uh, I thought, you know, Derek was a really great coach for you because he had a kind of a similar type deal. He's a big, tall guy and he was just really good at really knocking the back of the box really, really hard and, yep. and being able to convert that energy into, you know, into upward, you know, momentum. Um, right. but you know, I don't, I don't know. I, th- I think, you know, you, you say that you would like it to look more finesse. Like, I don't know. It's going to be hard to get that 210, you know, like uh yeah. <laughs> six, five, 210 body to look like Mondo flying off the top of that yeah. pole, you know, it's, you know, I've, and I've come to realize that it's going to be really hard for me to do that kind of thing. Not necessarily because of uh, like my weight or anything, but because Mondo has 10 years of experience on me. And when my yeah. 10 year 10 years from now, when I'm 32 I'm, or 34, sorry. Um, I'm probably not going to be pole vaulting, but, uh, you know, you don't think so. The, 
I don't know. 34 is a long time away. <laughs> Renault, Renault is 35 years old right now and he's, he, he's having a good time, but, um, it's a lot, you know, it, it's tough to do that at 34. Um, well, and Derek a lot of the guys, tell you. yeah, exactly. But a lot of the guys that you've had on your podcast can tell you the same exact thing. You know, Tim Mack, Derek, all these guys were jumping when they were late thirties. And even, even Derek today, he's like, I would never, if I had a choice, I wouldn't vault when I was 39 again, because that was terrible. <laughs> it was just I worn bet. down and tired. And after 20 years or more of pole vaulting, then your body just is just stop. All you, right. You quit it. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot, but you know, you, we don't need to think about that right now. You're, you're, uh, you're on, on the upswing right now. So yeah. So going into you. Spokane, how, how are you feeling? Are y'all recovered from your, uh, you know, your European, uh, tour there, quick little European tour and everything. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, I'm still, I lay, I got home last night, so I'm still a little jet lagged, but I mean, coming back home is always way easier than going over because, you know, I don't, I'm not exactly sure why, but I just always, I'm able to force myself to stay awake. And when I get home at nine at night, um, in the U S it's easier to just pass out as soon as you're home. And then mm -hmm. you wake up and you're basically back on schedule. Um, when you go over to Europe, you usually land at like seven or eight in the morning and then you have to stay up all day after already being up all day in the U S. So it's a little harder to maintain that kind of, uh, you know, awakeness. Um, so right now, yeah, right now I'm okay. I'm just taking a couple of rest days off here and then we get like one week and then we have to go back and, uh, go back and compete again. So yeah, right. feel good. Oh, you got, you got any like uh, international travel hacks? Like, cause now you've been, now you've been traveling over there, you know, for a two, two years or whatever, two, three years. Mm -hmm. Um, so are there any hacks that you've kind of picked up on that have helped you to be able to, uh, turn around and compete and be able to perform at a high level? Sleeping pills and coffee, sleeping pills and coffee. I was going to ask you about coffee. Are you still a, kind of a connoisseur? Not necessarily a connoisseur. I just enjoy, I, I just enjoy my coffee and my addiction is worse than it was a year ago, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, worse things to be addicted to, but yeah, uh, probably sleeping pills, not necessarily to force myself to get to sleep because I never really have problems getting to sleep, but it's a problem of staying asleep. You know, when you're over in Europe, your body for the cu first couple of days, your body probably just thinks you're trying to take a nap. So it will assume that and wake you up two or three hours into the night, then you'll be up forever if you take a sleeping pill, you're probably out for the next eight or nine hours. And it was really weird. This last two weeks, I've slept better than I've ever slept in my entire life. There wasn't a single night where I had anything under nine and a half hours of sleep. Um, unless I had to get up early and travel, but, um, yeah, yeah, it was weird. I don't, I don't get it, but the sleep was good. And I think it helped out a lot. And then of course, yeah, you need to wake up, get coffee, um, energy drink, whatever you, whatever your, your caffeine fix is. Yeah. So what, when are you, uh, I, I, geek out a lot on like nutrition stuff. Um, and I'm also very highly addicted to caffeine. Um, there you go. Yeah. So I went through a phase in my vaulting where I was taking so much pre-workout before I would jump that like, I couldn't even see the box. <laughs> like, like, so <laughs> have you ever, have you ever been in a situation where maybe you over caffeinated before you jump? Uh, no, no, I've never done that. Um, I think the only, I've never been like really over caffeinated, but I, I have like gotten those, like those tinglys you get in your fingers sometimes from drinking a Red Bull. That was a little bit too much. Um, right. 
So do you drink? Is do you just are you do you are you good at moderating yourself? Are you like are you good at just being like I'm? I do like one in the morning and then like one an hour before the meet, or do you do any before the meet or anything like that? If it's a jump day, I'll probably take a Red Bull, like one of the smaller ones, like an eight ounce one or something like that. Nothing crazy, Um, but yeah, I mean, coffee is kind of like an all day, every day kind of thing. I'll wake up and I'll just like casually drink it throughout the day, Um, and it's the same thing over in Europe. Europe's got good coffee. So I was going to say, what's, what's, uh, what's the best cup of coffee you've had over there? Is there like, a, do you guys, do you like seek out shops and stuff? I would, I would, that's the first thing I would do is like seek out like the best coffee shops in France or, or whatever. You know, the guy who, who the guy who you got to ask for that is Curtis Marshall. Um, he is a big time coffee connoisseur, mm. super big. Every city he goes to, he'll find some kind of coffee that just does amazing latte art or is just really good on their espresso or, you know, just really high quality coffee. Um, and he'll take me with him every once in a while. There's uh, yeah, of course, Paris is really good for coffee. Same thing with, uh, Sweden and Switzerland. They're both very good for coffee as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's just trying to find those modern areas or where those modern coffee shops are. That's probably where you're going to get your best coffee. Not necessarily like because of the region or anything, just because, I mean, if you have a modern coffee shop, then they're going to have the nice machines and they're going to know what they're doing. People are going to, you know, try to do weird latte art kind of thing on it. But I mean, wherever you go, if there's like a modern coffee shop, you probably find a good cop. So is it just like, is like coffee shops and stuff just as popular kind of over there as, as they oh, yeah. are around here? Absolutely. Starbucks okay. are everywhere. Starbucks are everywhere. They, no they do have Starbucks go. over there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh really? Starbucks, Dang, is, Starbucks is international, man. They got that stuff yeah. everywhere. They're taking over, man. Their mobile over. app is incredible. I don't know if you oh, can. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. No, I don't. I don't have the, the mobile. You don't. App. You don't do. You don't. Do you get Starbucks or? Not necessarily. No, I'm more of like a like a local coffee kind of guy. Yeah. I used to. I like. I said. I used to work at a coffee shop, so I go there pretty frequently. Right. Um, yeah. During nice. COVID, I've been really uh, just at the two people who i've been like man this this covid like pivot for them with uh with their like uh not self-checkout but like pickup you know like mobile order pickup right the two companies that i think have completely killed it which starbucks is one and they were doing it before the other one is target have you done target's mobile order pickup i have not it's pretty legit man dude they have (laughs) got it going on yeah they're really good at it anyway that's awesome so what are you guys doing to cut loose over there like i know i know that it, like we had talked about earlier it's you are a pole vaulter and you do this for your job and you you know this is how you make a living mm-hmm. but you know people people probably misinterpret the amount of time that you actually spend thinking about it it's probably not as much as what people would think like you're not sitting around all day just like constantly like a pole vault nerd like probably just like all day long so what do you what do you do like and how do you balance out your you know career yeah it's 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 the same thing that you know people should be doing in college because i feel like college athletes are far too obsessed with their sport um it's just it's just finding other things to do um when i'm 
when I'm home, you know, I'm constantly hanging out with my girlfriend and I don't want to seem like my entire life and my entire identity is pole vault. So I will always constantly try to either talk about or do things that are not related to sports or pole vault in any way, shape or form. If it's something as simple as grabbing a coffee and going on a walk, then I'll do that. I will try my best not to bring up pole vault as much as I possibly can outside of actual pole vaulting. Um, and I mean, in Europe, it's just about trying to find things to pass the time till the next meet. So you try to find your training spots or, you, or you're in the middle of travel. Um, you know, you watch a movie or you just go and explore. You're in a place you've never been before. You should probably go and explore, learn some knowledge about the culture and, you know, the history of the place that you're in and, you know, make a, make a tour out of it, you know, right. learn something out of it. Right. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's something that I think is important for every single pole vaulter to understand is, um, you can't just think about it all day, man. You can drive yourself nuts. And it actually Absolutely. like kind of opera, it like works in the opposite direction where it's like, if you constantly are thinking about it, you may find yourself getting worse, <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. getting worse at pole vaulting. I told my, told my brother, I was like, Hey dude, after your meet on, you know, whatever it is on Friday or Saturday or whatever, you're on a pole vaulting fast until monday like there yeah, is there is fair. none there's no social media there's no anything <laughs> nothing you are you and he'll send me his video and i'll be like all right this is for my eyes only you're not even looking at your video dude like you need to cut away from it and then revamp and then come back at it next week you know yeah absolutely it's and really I think every important. athlete needs to do that yeah. That's why I feel like that's why most people end up having mental issues anyway, where they're like either struggling to get themselves down the runway or they're just struggling to find the motivation for it because constant, they're constantly trying to motivate themselves outside of practice by looking at their videos or thinking about pole vaulting that when they actually get to the track, there's nothing left. So I think I just need to calm down and just leave it alone. I mean, it is I, like everyone can say it's their passion or it's the thing they love to do the most. But at the end of the day, like you're not going to sleep on the pole vault pit and eat on the runway. You know what I mean? You're going to have a life outside of it. You need to have a life outside of it because just having pole vault as your identity would be pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. There are people that would probably sleep on the pit and, uh, and, Oh no, and guarantee. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. No I know doubt. a lot of people <laughs> that would, but it's not good for them. It's not good for them. It's, it's, it's good. You need to go in, you need to execute your workout and you need to get out and then you need to go on about your day. You know, exactly. Listen to this podcast, maybe if if yeah. you have a little bit of time. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. But um, but I think that is really, really important uh for people to be able to to be able to do. So how how is it, if you don't mind me asking, if you don't want to talk about this, no problem at all. But how is it like uh being in a relationship and and having you know your job? It's like my job being pole vaulting. Yeah. 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 Your job being pole vaulting and traveling. Well, I mean, it's not just pole vaulting it's traveling and, and doing all of these things. Well, you know, I mean, it, it, being in a relationship, I mean, it, every relationship has their struggles, whether, you know, you're an accountant at a desk job or you're a lawyer in a firm or something like that. You know, everyone, every relationship is going to have those kind of things that you have to have conversations about. Mine just happened to be, Hey, I'm going to be gone for about two or three weeks. Um, be back. Um, so, um, you know, you know, my girlfriend's name is Bree. I love her to death. She's probably the most supportive person I have my, in my entire life. And she has constantly been there for me when 
COVID hit when pole vaulting wasn't even a thing anymore. And she was there for me when, you know, I was doing well at the Olympics. So she's been there for me, my highs, my mids, my lows and everything. And, you know, couldn't ask for a better partner. Um, but you know, I mean, every relationship has to have those conversations about how long do you want to do this for? Um, what's the goal? What's the, what's the, the thing to do after this, because this will end eventually and you'll have to move on to something. So we've had those conversations and she's always been super supportive of me. I've never felt like I had to do something for the relationship or for a pole vault because they've always kind of gone together and they flowed very nicely. Um, but like I said, um, I try not to make my entire identity pole vault because I'm sure, you know, Brie would probably think I was pretty boring if I was just Chris the pole vaulter. <laughs> right. So right. I try to have some variety in my life. Um, and I try my best not to talk about pole vault too much considering it is my job. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I haven't really seen any struggles that pole vault has presented for my relationship, um, that it probably, that other relationships wouldn't have. Um, it, I mean, it's been very smooth so far. Are there any parameters that you like kind of like rigid parameters that you put on yourself? Like, okay, like I, I, I'm going to, I don't, for example, I'm going to, you know, look at uh, social media for X amount of time, or I'm not going to look at social media, or I'm going to, you know, put up this many posts. Cause I mean, that is, that, that is part of you. It's weird because you grow up in a time like you're, you're vaulting during a time where it's kind of like, you know, Instagram and stuff like that is actually a very, very good source for people to be a fan of, of who you are. And, and if people are a fan of who you are, like that supports your, you know, career, you know? So it's like, it's almost like you, you don't have to have social media, but it it does, it does provide, you know, a free form of almost like advertisement, like, Hey, like, look what I'm doing, like these things. And, and, and I'm saying from an outsider's perspective, it's really nice to have. And it is nice to, I talked with Mondo about this because he was like, dude, I, you know, I, I don't do so well on posting on social media and I should probably yeah. do a better job and all these things. And, and I understand, I understand why, why he wouldn't, but like, there's a lot of people that just genuinely want to know about you guys and want to you know, see videos, you know, and, and things like that. So are there any parameters that you put on yourself with things like that? No, not necessarily. I think, I think when you start, when you start to put mental, when you start to put mental or any kind of parameters on doing anything, I think that's when you probably have a problem. Like when you're like, I'm only going to look at pole vaulting today for a couple of hours. That means you're trying to force yourself. <laughs> that means you're trying to force yourself to stop doing something that you want. I think if you want to do something, then you should just do it. And then your life is probably a lot less stressful because that's one less thing you have to worry about. If I'm sitting here worrying that I was on Instagram for an hour longer than I wanted to today, it's, it's wasted energy, man. There's no point. And I mean, I'm the same as Mondo where it's like, like I probably should be post. I probably should be posting more than I do. But I mean, I've just got so many other things going on in my life right now where it's like, yeah, pole vault's important. And I do have sponsors that I need to, um, what's the word satisfy, um, with the social media things. Are there specific like deals that you have, like where, where you have to do that or no, I'm just curious. No, it's okay. Not necessarily deals, but, um, sometimes they do write in contracts that like you're required to you're required to you know post this many times about our company on the social media blah 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 kind of thing um 
but it's more of like a hey we would appreciate if you if you did this um but yeah right. I, i'm same thing with mondo and me yeah i i probably need to be posting more but when i have things going on in my life like i'm trying to hang out with my girlfriend while i'm not pole vaulting or i'm trying to pole vault or trying to train or do any kind of extracurricular activity um that's neither of those two i'm not really going to be focused on i got to go and post real quick or my followers are going to leave me you know I'm, I'm not really too focused on that kind of thing i'm more focused on doing my job and creating a life for myself and my relationship yeah and i think that generally um people in your position and, and in mondo's position um ironically like our our probably less likely to do a lot of self-promotion um which is weird because like people like that maybe not maybe don't jump as high like may like just you know be like dude this is you know like i've always kind of had a hard time with like uh people who are constantly just like posting about themselves, like all the time, like just boom, 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 boom. It gets boom, old. Boom. It gets like, very I'm old. the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't and I know. Also, I also never want to come off like that. I never want to come off as annoying. Like if I was sitting here, like constantly, constantly posting about like the Olympics or the American record or anything like that, I feel like people would be like, okay, we get it. You know what I mean? And right. I never want to be that guy. So I don't. <laughs> But at the same time, you have you have to you, like you don't have to do anything. But we appreciate it <laughs> because, meet, because we want to see that six oh two jump, man. We wanted to, yeah. and by you posting that and you putting that up, that's that's uh that's awesome. So going back to you had mentioned about like uh, sponsors and stuff like that. So I always see a beef symbol <laughs> yeah. next to, next to your <laughs> name in like all the comments and like random right. stuff. What's the story behind that? So I think, um, so I'm, I'm partnered with a company called the South Dakota beef industry council. Um, they came out with a sports nutrition program called build your base with beef. I won't get super deep into it. Basically it's just a sports nutrition program with the premier protein is beef. They want to get the, they want to get the, the, they want to get the idea out there that no matter what you do, nutrition is extremely important, but at the same time, adding beef or having beef be the premier thing that you are trying to have as, as, as a successful nutrition program. If beef is at the head of it, it's probably a better nutrition program. Um, so back when I started with them in mid 2021 or like early 2021, um, Nike was nice enough to let me put a, a build your base with beef symbol on the, like a patch on my on my Nike uniform. So now it, it literally just says beef across it. So now everyone calls me beef boy or everyone kind of um, makes it so that I'm, I'm related to beef in some way, shape or form. So now I guess, I think Jacob Flores from, uh, from Arizona started it, but now every single time I post, there's just a string of beef like <laughs> emojis. And I'm like, this is too much, but it it's is funny. It's funny for sure. Kind of fits too because you you know big dude big muscles be you know all all this stuff you know it kind of it kind of fits. fits together if the shoe fits if the shoe fits for sure so so that kind of like segues into a little bit of like a, a nutrition type deal so like do you is that something that you take some some athletes take that really seriously and really you know dial in every little macro and micronutrient you know, and, and then some athletes are just like, I'll just roll through and grab McDonald's, you know, and, right. and go jump on that, which I don't, I don't think if you're, 
if you're jumping high, I don't know if it really matters that much, but is there, are you, do you take that seriously? Like your nutrition and stuff? Yeah, I would, I would say I take it extremely seriously. I'm not like, I'm not out here like writing, you know, tips and tricks and nutrition, uh, plans, like on a whiteboard outside my room or in my kitchen or anything like that. But I, you know, I like, like I, like I, I do follow the, the build your base with beef nutrition kind of program. Beef is the premier protein in my, in my diet, I would say for sure. Um, and then everything after that is just trying to create like a balanced meal after that, you know, get your veggies, your carbs, your fats, your, you know, your everything. So, um, that's just kind of how that goes. Actually, my, my Brie and I, my girlfriend, were having a conversation earlier today because we were talking about what we should do for lunch if it was healthy. And we ended up making pico de gallo. And I was like, I don't know if that's necessarily the healthiest thing. And she was like, you don't have to have a protein in every single meal for it to be an actually healthy thing. Pico de gallo is pretty healthy for you because it's just, it's just vegetables. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I get that. It's um, really healthy for you. Yeah. I love Pico, man. We got this little Mexican great. joint uh, next to our, our house, Mexican grocery store. It's got incredible Pico. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so do they load you up? Do they load up the freezer? Uh, with, they load with up beef? the freezer. That's yep, what I'm talking freezer. about. Ribeyes, wow. everything. Ribeyes, sirloins, uh, T-bones, anything you can, you can dream of. A bunch of ground beef. I've probably got 11 pounds of ground beef in my freezer right now. That's what um, I'm talking about, man. But yeah, of course they load you up. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very nice. It's a very, very good thing. And not having to really pay for any of my, you know, my big proteins in my meal and, you know, beef can be extremely expensive over yeah. time. So not having to pay for that is extremely helpful. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So then, uh, that kind of segues into, um, do you, do you have, do you like have a physio or, or somebody or that you work with, or do you, do you, uh, you know, go in for, you know, muscle manipulation and stuff like that and, and chiropractic and, and things like that, or, uh, I do. You, yeah. uh, you do. Okay. So yeah. what, what, what do you, what's your kind of protocol on that? So, um, you know, for a while there, I was in college and I had a pretty bad SI problem, you know, on my lower back, um, just because I was bad at pole vaulting. My technique was bad. When you have something going wrong in your technique, you're probably going to have a body deficiency in some way, shape or form. Mine was my SI. Um, and I went to a chiropractor at the time and, uh, not the guy I go to now, but the guy I went to back in the day, he would just kind of cold crack me. If that makes sense. Like he would just like put me on a table and like pop me everywhere. And then he'd be like, you're all set. And then I would end up feeling worse later on. But I go, now I, I go to a guy in uh, Sioux Falls. His name is Dr. Wayne Huber. He works at a uh, spot called active spine. And um, he is technically labeled as a chiropractor, but he's more of a physio. And what I mean by that, like in Europe, they call them physios. Physios are kind of like an everything mixed together, physical therapist, athletic trainer, chiropractor, massage therapist kind of deal. Um, he's not really sitting there like doing massage therapy on me because that's not necessarily what I need, but he is helping me with the parts of my body there that are not good. Like he's helping out. He's helping me out with my deficiencies and things like that and giving me tips and tricks and exercises and stretches to maintain the, that strength and whatever is weak. Um, yeah. And that's kind of how that goes. I don't have, I haven't been able to go back to him, um, very frequently recently because I've either been out of town or I just haven't necessarily had the time, but usually in the training season from like October to January, February, I'll, I'll be in there like once every, every week or every other week. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to, uh, I used to work with a guy, um, like that as well. And it's important that you get in contact with somebody that combines all of those things together, you know, like, like, cause if it just, just the chiropractic, it's like, okay, it's, it's whatever, you know, some people just totally don't even believe in any of it. And some people, you know, swear by it. But I think if you do, you know, if, if you combine, you know, working on the muscles, working on the, you know, adjustments and things like that, and then, you know, ART or, or all grass and whatever, like all these different types of techniques, you got to find somebody who can integrate all of those different things together. Um, and if you can find that, that's, it's a, it's a gem because I, I worked with a guy and now he's, he's retired now. And I constantly, I'm always talking to my brothers. I'm like, man, like, so is that knowledge is, is, is that just going to die with him? Like that, like he's, he was like a goal, like a piece of gold, like, and absolutely. I, I, uh, it's, They're it's hard really, to come by. they really, really are, man. Like, have you ever, have you ever come, uh, by anybody? Cause I know, I don't know if you've, uh, listened to, uh, Brad's episode. Um, but Brad, like, went into some stuff with a guy up in Canada and like, uh, there's a lot of really incredible people out there, but have you ever come across somebody that was like maybe overseas or something that, that was had like magic hands or anything? Yes, actually. Um, last year when I was at Renault's meet, the all-star parish, um, he was nice enough to lend us his physio, um, for like basically the night before the competition, he was like, everyone can, you can use them as much as you want is paid for. Um, wow. That dude had magic hands. That was <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, I, I, I think I, I went to bed and I passed out the second my head hit the pillow. And then I woke up and I had felt like I was like four years younger. I was like, Holy man, what's going on? Um, I don't jump great, but, um, but yeah, the, that guy, that guy was, was really good. He didn't really speak much English, but, uh, all I had to do was point to a part, a part of the body. And, you know, he would like give me symbols, like, you know, is the pain like small, medium, big, or is it like very pinpointed kind of deal? Um, and then, yeah, dude just went to work. Um, it was great. I kind of, I kind of get that same kind of treatment with, uh, with Dr. Wayne Huber, the guy I went to in France, Renault's, Renault's physio, he's more of a, a massage therapist kind of guy. Whereas mm. my guy, Dr. Wayne, uh, he's more of a, a chiropractic soft tissue kind of guy. So I, I get the same high quality treatment, but in a different way. Gotcha. Gotcha. Are there any particular like, uh, areas like, like parts that you've had, you know, kind of issues with just always throughout your career that you always yeah. are kind of just dealing with? Yeah. My SI, my SI is consistently, chronically a problem uh so on your, left, miss, on your left side left left right both just all bad um oh man my mead my mead min piriformis everything in my in my upper to mid glutes has always been not great not necessarily sure why i'm sure it's something to do with like the actual strength um of or the composition of it but it's always kind of been not necessarily a problem but a nuisance at some point in time like if i'm sore the day after a meet that's where i'm sore mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think about your jump right now. Do you take off like chronically under, or no? Pretty chronically on. Um, just right, some, right on. Okay, yeah, just right on. I've never been a free takeoff guy. I've never been a necessarily getting my back destroyed kind of under. Um, but 
it's usually pretty dead on. Right. Yeah. I used to have uh, really bad uh, SI stuff too. And actually what happened to me later on in my career is uh, your pubic symphysis is like where your, your pelvis kind of comes together in the front, you know, kind of yep. like by your junk mm-hmm. or whatever. And mm-hmm. it started to tear apart my, cause my pelvis, you know how you, you jump off that left leg and then you drive that right knee and your right. pelvis is basically kind of like rotating in the opposite directions. And so like later on in my career, I was like, dude, this is killing me. And I went to the doctor and they were like, yeah, we see this, uh, in pregnant women. And and (laughs) I was like, Oh, really? Is that right? right? I was like, okay. And they were like, yeah, your, your pubic symphysis is like, uh, tearing apart. And I was like, dang it, man. I was like, yeah. And slowly but surely that just kind of just locked me down. And then I was like, all right, well, I'm done pole vaulting. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I once I started getting sure. the pregnant, the pregnant woman problems, I was like, the pregnant you know woman talk. That's when time, you're like, okay. <laughs> time to pack it up, man. <laughs> time to sit down. I'm going to go home now. See ya. No, oh man. Sure. So how was uh, Mondo's meat? Mondo's meat was fantastic. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I, I've been to Hayward now four or five times, somewhere around there. And the, the fans there go crazy for everything, but man, the people in Mondo's hometown just go freaking wild for everything. Like you cleared an opening bar and they were losing their minds. Kyoder Lisek <laughs> broke a pole in the middle of the, in the middle of the competition. And then, you know, he did the classic Piotr Lisek scream at the beginning of his next jump. And then the entire crowd screamed back at him. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's the most hype thing I've ever seen. And then of course the music was going crazy. Lights were crazy, fog, all this other stuff. Um, And then the people were there, the people who were there, the actual competitors, it was just an extremely strong competition. It was basically Olympic final 2.0. So it was very cool. It was very high, high stakes competition without being one, if that makes sense. Why was the car there? Somebody with Mondo is Mondo. No, Mondo is sponsored by a pole company called Polestar. Um, it's an electric car company. Um, very cool. Uh, but the car was there because it's one of the, it's one of one Mondo sponsors and two, they also sponsored the meet. So Mondo did this thing where he put his pole bag on top of the car. And every single time we went to go get a different pole out of his bag, it was on the car. So no, the car car (laughs) company got a nice little plug out of it. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Where I, the only thing that I saw that I was like, I were the lights distracting at all. Like, cause they were you like, know, a lot of people were talking about all that. over. Yeah. A lot of people were talking about that because they were a bunch of multicolored lights and they were strobing and uh, flashing very inconsistently. And um, yeah, just going everywhere for me. It does. It, it didn't affect me at all because I was very, tun- whenever I go down the runway, I'm very tunnel vision, but um Casey was talking to me a little bit and he was like, do you see these freaking lights, man? Like what's going on right now? And I was like, I don't know. It's a party, man. I mean, that's yeah. That, that, uh, if Mondo were to put on a meet, I would be like, yeah, that, that kind of looked like, uh, that a meet that Mondo on. would, would put on. Um, Absolutely. so before we get off here, I just wanted to, uh, see, you know, what are you most excited about this year? What are you, what are you looking forward to kind of the most, um, mm. out of this season? Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. It's a great question. Um, I think, um, I'm just excited to see what everybody's going to do. Um, and you know, 
not necessarily like like take me out of the equation completely this year is probably still going to be a very cool year for the vault people have already been pring extremely frequently and it's only february 19th so i'm excited to see what's going to happen when the outdoor season comes along um because as we all know the outdoor season usually produces a lot better results than the indoor season mm-hmm. um i don't know i'm just kind of excited to see where things turn and also at the same time i'm very excited to see things start to go back to normal a little bit with covid i'm starting to see that now i know a lot of the restrictions i know the day before the meet in sweden mondo's meet the day before that a bunch of sweden's covid restrictions got lifted so their mask mandate um a bunch of their vaccination mandate mandates got lifted um so that's very nice. And if Sweden starting to do that, then the rest of the European countries are going to follow. And then eventually the US is going to follow. So I'm very excited for things to start opening back up and getting I know, normal. man. It's been a long, long haul. It's it It's been really, really crazy. I didn't realize how much of a psychological impact it was going to have on me, like personally. Like I, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, at the beginning of it, I was just like, okay, this is, you know, the original thing was like, all right, two weeks and we're two weeks, we're going to slow the spread. And then that's going to be that. Yeah. <laughs> no like, shot, what? no shot. Imagine everything getting canceled for two years, basically. And everyone going oh crazy. My gosh, I know. I was like trying to figure out what I could do with my daughters today. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to a movie. I'm going to take my daughters to a movie. And, and I was, that was the first time, first time that we'd done that. And I was just like, dude, this is, this is really, really nice to like get out and actually do some stuff. You know, it's, uh, it's going to be exciting and I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, seeing what, what you're able to do and what everybody's able to do. And, and, you know, I'm, you just got to keep on, keep basically just keep doing what you're doing, man. I mean, you're, you're really, it's a really impressive beginning to the start to the indoor season and everything. Appreciate that, man. Thank you a lot. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll be fun to watch. And, uh, and yeah, and you can follow him on, uh, his Instagram. Uh, is there anywhere, anywhere else that you post stuff up at all or, uh, pretty consistent on Instagram and Facebook. They're kind of linked. So yep. Instagram at, at Nelson vault and the Facebook is just Chris Nelson. Um, right. and then, yeah, other than that, like I said, I need to be better about social media, but for now, I, I don't, I don't want you to think that like, I was like pressure. <laughs> no, I don't, you I don't, into, I don't, you're good, you're good, you're good. Stuff. You don't need to be better at, at anything, man. You're no, doing, trust me. you're doing great. It. No, you're good. No worries. <laughs> but anyway, Hey, and the other thing I have one, uh, favor, you got to, uh, get in Casey's ear about coming on here. I got to get in Casey's ear about coming on. All right. I'm good. I'll, I'll phone him. I'll phone him later on and I'll tell him one jump podcast. You got to You got to get on it. Yeah. We got to get it going. But anyway, really appreciate your time, man. And, uh, and once again, uh, Chris Nilsson, our first repeat guest on one more jump podcast. <laughs>